Welcome to the Grove Church Podcast and thegrovekc.com. Our mission as a church is to encourage people to discover true treasure in Jesus Christ. We hope you find today's teaching helpful and encouraging. Thanks for joining us. Okay, hey, welcome. <laughs> we got all kinds of things going on this morning, but we're going to keep rolling. Uh, well, good morning again. Welcome. My name is Christian. If we haven't met, I'm a lead pastor here at the Grove. Uh, anybody recognize who that guy was at the end? Anybody know? Smokey the Bear. Okay, all right. So at least you got that part. Okay, at least we got that. We did, gave you enough. You know that that was Smokey the Bear. I grew up in Southern California. And my parents lived, or my grandparents at one point, lived out sort of in the mountain hill type area. And, uh, and so Smokey the Bear was a big deal. Like we had to, like we became first name friends with Smokey the Bear because uh, we lived among the forest. We lived there in the forest. And so you really had to, to heed Smokey's warnings. You, you had to be really careful to do what Smokey said. Um, there was also the, the famous line, give a hoot don't pollute. And so we, we, were, we were aware we were getting hit from every angle. Make sure you take care of what you got. And that was good. We were glad for that. Um, but Smokey there is, uh, and his friends, the rats who were setting the forest on fire, and then the other, whatever those animals were that were singing with Smokey, his backup singers, uh, they, they make a really important point, right? Is that you got you to be careful because you could cause a wildfire. In fact, I came across this headline uh, just looking back and thinking back on some things. I had friends who live up in Northern California, um, and this is not the same fire, but they were part of the campfire that was so devastating. But they found this uh, back in 2019, there was what was known as the Ranch Fire. And that was the, um, the largest wildland fire there you see in California history. And when they investigated, they discovered it was started because of a hammer strike. And somebody, somebody struck something with a hammer, rock or something, piece of metal, I think, with a hammer, and that little spark caused the most devastating or the largest wildfire wild, wild in California history. The campfire was not as big, but it was more devastating in terms of loss of life and, and damage that it did. But this one goes back to just a hammer spark. And so I wonder, as you, you think of these things and, and heed Smokey's warning, have you ever found yourself in a wildfire because of something you or someone else said? Have you ever found yourself in a spot where, man, things are just raging around you, and it really just goes back to somebody said something, and that's what caused the problem? I know I have. And we've been in this series. We started this series last week called Words Matter because words really do matter. They're, they're heavy. They're weighty. And a lot goes into our words, and a lot can come out of our words. And so I want you to heed. I don't know if you got to hear it, but at one point there in Smokey's little commercial, he said, if a gorgeous fire is what you desire, right, only you can prevent a wildfire. That, that was kind of the, the whole thing, right? He was really, this was probably late 80s when rap was just at its heyday. And so Smokey's laying down the, the rhymes. And so... Um, if a gorgeous forest is what you desire, right, only you can stop a, a wildfire. Uh, I wonder, what if we thought of our lives as that gorgeous forest? I mean, if you think, I really want my life to be a gorgeous forest of sorts. I want it to, to flourish. I want it to, to grow up and be strong and have the things that it needs and, and really be fruitful and, and do what my life is intended to be. And so what if we thought of our lives that way? And if, if we want that, if we want a gorgeous forest... Right? Then 
In that case, we would understand Smokey's warning in a different way, and we would say fire prevention is a high priority. If there was going to be something that could threaten to, to take that forest down in flames, we would want to make sure we're doing what we can to prevent a forest fire. And so if you live out in, in California largely and, and in other places where wildfires are a problem, you put a lot of time and energy and money into this kind of fire prevention because you want that gorgeous forest to flourish. And so today what I want us to see, we're going to look at the book of James you can go ahead and, and flip there but, uh, and, and get started. There's a Bible in front of you if you want to use that, or you can use your own uh, device, or if you brought a Bible, that's great. We're going to be in James chapter 3, but I want us to see from there, and, and what we'll, we'll build around is what James says, and, and then what we'll see in other ways is that our words have an outsized influence on the outcomes of our lives. Okay. Our words ha- have a really large influence, but it's outsized to, from what we would think have this really large influence on the outcomes of our lives. So I want to start there in James chapter 3, and uh, we're going to read pretty much the whole, we'll go through the whole chapter today, um, and, and we won't get down into the weeds, but we will see what is this big idea that James makes. James is intensely practical, and we've been looking at the wisdom of the Bible. We've been looking at books like Proverbs. We'll, we'll be there again today. But James is somewhat known as the Proverbs of the New Testament because James is just so intensely practical. He wants us to understand that his half-brother, Jesus, really is God. But because he came and because of what he did, our lives are meant to be different in really profound ways. And so here, James makes a warning specifically to teachers. He says, not many should become teachers, my brothers, Because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a a very small rudder, wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too. Though the tongue is a small part of the body, uh, I'm sorry, the tongue, let me back up, it boasts great things. Okay, so the, the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Then it, I'm going to stop here. It says, consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. Okay, so understand, James is making a statement. He's talking to teachers, and he's giving this warning to teachers. He's saying, listen, you think this job is so glamorous, watch out. And if you've been around here at all for, for a little while, it's possible you've been here on a day where I realized where, where this James's warning flashed in my mind because I said something and thought, man, you overstepped it there. The Holy Spirit said, you botched that and you need to be really careful because this, this is a big deal. And that, if I've been here and I've dealt with something that I've said in front of all of you, it's not a performance. It's just really the fear of the Lord going, hey, really, we need to take him seriously. And that's the warning here to, to teachers. Hey, be careful here. But the warning to teachers is also meant to give a principle that all of us can understand and all of us need to heed. Okay, so I want us to see where James goes, what he's, the, the, the argument that he's making here, because it's really for every single one of it one of us. Now think about it. As a kid, what was the subject of most of the correction that you received? 
Okay? If mom and dad, maybe you were the greatest kid in the world, okay? hardly ever had any problems. But if, if mom and dad were, were getting on to you, or mom or dad were getting on to you, what was the majority of what they got on to you about? My guess, if you're anything like me, and because of my experience as a parent now, is that the majority of that was the things that were coming out of our mouths, right? The things that we were saying. There's all kinds of just correction that comes because of what is flowing out of our mouths. And here James is, is reminding us of this outsized influence that our tongues wield in our lives. And so he uses a number of images, a number of Im images, but, but we'll see two, and we're going to come back to the one we started with. But we'll see these first two, right? First he says, think of a horse, right? Think of a horse. Let's go giant Clydesdale, right? really, really large horse. And there on top of that really, really large horse, you have a, a petite athletic woman, okay? That, that is not like if you're thinking, hey, a Clydesdale, I've got to get like Hulk Hogan to wrestle this thing, right? That's not what's going on here. You've got a petite woman on that horse, and she's making that horse go where she wants it to go. Now, how's she doing that? A bridle. She, she puts that thing controlling its mouth, and when you control the horse's mouth, it will do what you need it to do. So this is the image that James gives. It's this really small thing that has outsized influence. It can do far more than what you would expect out of just such a small little part. He goes on, makes another comparison. He says, think of a ship. Now, they didn't have cargo ships like this when James was writing, but he still knows the, the point. And so there you see this gigantic cargo ship. And look, there at the bottom, that, I mean, relatively tiny rudder. But you turn that rudder, and that humongous ship goes where you need it to go. Again, James's point is, there is outsized influence. The tongue wields this giant influence in our lives. And part of what James says here is he's, he's making the point about what is the Christian life supposed to accomplish? What, what does God want for us? And the, what he talks about here is maturity. He says, if you could control the tongue, you could control the whole body. You would be perfect and complete. Mature is what he says. Right? If we could direct our tongues, we'd have control over everything else. He says, because the tongue is like the bridle, like the rudder. It has this outsized influence on the rest of our lives. And so we need to take that uh, to heart and, and also understand that this was well understood by God's people for a long, long time. James is picking up on this because Jesus talks so much about it. And Jesus is talking about it because he'd already talked about it through his people for thousands of years. And so we can go back, especially into the book of Proverbs. We're told in Proverbs 13, 3, the one who guards his mouth protects his life. The one who opens his lips invites his own ruin, right? Two different paths. You keep an eye on your mouth. You keep an eye on your tongue. You keep that thing under control. You're protecting your life. There's good things that can come out of that. But you open your lips haphazardly. You just let those things flap. You're inviting ruin. You're inviting problems. I'm going to stop right there. If you hear that, okay, what you just, some of you just heard, that was balloons popping, okay? So nobody panic. We just needed, I just needed you to know. They warned me so that I wouldn't panic, okay? So I'm just telling you, if you hear more things like that, okay, that's just balloons popping. The kids are having a great time, okay? And they're learning some great things. So, so here we are, Proverbs 13, guard your mouth. Don't just let your lips run unhindered. Proverbs 21, 23, again, the one who guards his mouth and tongue keeps himself out of trouble. And this is, again, what we're, we're constantly trying to tell our kids. 
look, if you would just think a little longer before you started talking, it would keep you out of a lot of trouble. But we need to know this as adults. This is all of life. Keep a watch on your mouth, you keep yourself out of trouble. On the flip side, Proverbs 22, 11, the one who loves a pure heart and gracious lips, the king is his friend. The point here is that not only can mishandling our, our tongues, mishandling our mouths take us into trouble, but if we know how to wield those well, it can actually take us into really important and helpful places. And so we want a wise heart, a pure heart, and gracious lips. And Ecclesiastes also deals with this. Ecclesiastes 10, 12, the words from the mouth of a wise person are gracious. Right? They, they are giving. They, they produce some things. They, they provide some things. But the lips of a fool consume him. It's this idea, of just the, again, I'll borrow from comedian Jim Gaffigan, the me monster, right? It's this idea, like our, our lips just get going and going and going selfishly, and we just get consumed. They just kind of wrap themselves around our entire body. Our lives are consumed because we just don't know how to control what we're saying. So these warnings all through the scriptures that our tongue has an outsized influence on the outcomes of our lives. And here's the second thing. James is going to go on and tell us. Our tongues are tied to twisted hearts and troublesome to tame. Okay? We'll come back to that. James 3, verse 5, he keeps going. He says, Again, consider how a small forest sets ablaze a large forest. I mean, how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest. And the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Okay, that's just a cheery thing to think about right now. He goes on, he says, every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. And once again, our tongues are tied to twisted hearts and troublesome to tame, right? We, we're all aware of the times where your, your tongue has been tied, right? when, when you didn't know what to say. You felt like, oh, I should have said this, I should have said that, and, and your tongue tied. And then there's been times where your tongue was twisted. You realize, man, I, I said things that I wish I really hadn't said. And, and all of this, we looked at this last week, right? Our, our tongues, they are tied directly to our hearts. What we say comes out of what we filled our hearts with and, and the nature of our heart, what God has done in or not done in our hearts. And so it, it's important to, to realize that connection, and James is, is making that connection again when he's talking about these different springs and these different sources of what comes from them. And he says, and it's troublesome to try to, to tame our tongues. And notice in verse 6, he says, the tongue is set on fire by hell. Okay? I want us to realize the challenge of our tongue, there's, there would be enough if it was just us. But the challenge of our tongue is that also it gets particular attention from our enemy, Satan. 
Okay. It, it, this is, this is, hell is especially concerned with our tongues, with what we say, because the enemies understand just, the enemy understands just as well that this is a problem, that a wildfire can be set depending on what we do with our tongue. In fact, Proverbs 17.20 says, One with a twisted mind will not succeed, and one with deceitful speech will fall into ruin. Hear that, not succeed, fall into ruin. This is the enemy's desire for you. He hates you and wants a terrible plan for your life. He wants you not to succeed in, in doing what God thinks is valuable and good and right. He wants you to be ruined. And so you have extra resistance to your attempts to try to tame your tongue. He goes on, verse 8, James tells us, he says, the tongue resists taming. And it, it's, it, he's going to say something specifically about it, but it, it resists taming, and he says it's restless. The idea here of that is that it can strike at any time. It never stops and just kind of gives us a rest. It's always sitting there ready to spring and go rogue. Now, I don't know that James is specifically, like explicitly has in mind a, a, a snake, but perhaps that, that is also what is in mind, is he's comparing the tongue to a snake. And it, it'd be appropriate the way Scripture deals with our mouths. Apart from life in Christ, in fact, people are described like this, Romans chapter 3. Their throat is an open grave. They deceive with their tongues. Viper's venom is under their lips. Their mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Similar ideas to what James is saying here in James 3. It's this restless thing. It just, it's ready to strike. And we have to understand that. It's difficult to tame. But I, it's, it's troublesome to tame. But notice that I didn't say impossible to tame. I, I didn't say that. Very importantly, not just to make the tongue twister, okay, but, but because there's more going on. You say, but Christian, James says it can't be tamed. I mean, that's what it says. And if you're pointing that out, you're right. It does say that. So either I'm twisting it or there's something more to understand, okay? Let's, let's hope that that's the, the actual answer, right? Besides, you would say, you might even have more in your, uh, your store tank to, to come at me. Okay, come at me, bro. Jeremiah 17, 9. Okay? The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? Okay, so again, if your case is, look, Christian, you're saying it's troublesome to tame. James says you can't tame it. Jeremiah says the heart is sick and it's incurable and we can't understand it. So why, why are we even talking about this? Because I'm just... Pro, I'm, I'm not just prone to this. I'm, it's got to happen. I'm going to mess this up. And I have no choice. But here's the thing. I want you to notice that James doesn't just throw up his hands in hopeless frustration. Hey, James doesn't stop there and go, look, y'all just understand this thing. It's restless, evil. It's ready to strike. You can't tame it. You got no hope. Just stop talking. Let's all go to the, the convent and, or the monastery and just shut our mouths and Vows of silence, let's not do anything else, okay? That's not what he does. So notice where he goes. Verse 13, he says, Who among you is wise and understanding? 
He's talking back, again, dealing with those teachers. He says, you think you're wise and understanding? By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. But if you have bitter envy and selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast and deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where there is envy and selfish ambition, there is disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. See, James doesn't just quit there. James says, no, 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 you got to understand, this is so dangerous, it's so difficult that you better have some other resource if you're going to deal with this thing. And he makes this comparison, right? And he, he's, he's, he's still encouraging. Look, we need teachers. We need you to, but, but it's got to be, there's got to be a better source. There's got to be a better resource to help you actually manage this thing that can destroy you. And so he presents these two options for wisdom. He says there's one kind of wisdom that is earthly and unspiritual. And, and, and if we stopped there, I would say that's generally what we think of when we come to, we, we come to wisdom. Right? We, we think earthly, unspiritual. Yeah, it's, it's not about anything religious or anything having to do with God. It's just knowing the things you need to know to handle life. It's just it's the stuff of earth. Right? I'm doing earthly good. I don't, I'm, I don't want to be one of those people with my head in the clouds. I'm just earthly good. I don't need to talk about spirituality. I just need to get stuff done. The problem is, if we're not careful, what, what our natural bent, though, is not just for that. In fact, this kind of wisdom is not just earthly and unspiritual. It's actually demonic. So it is spiritual in a certain way. Again, Satan, the enemy, has a particular interest in destroying you and using your words against you and as a part of that plan. But instead, there's another kind of wisdom. It's wisdom from above. Okay? It is uh, instead that is pure and peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. Earlier, we were told that our, our conduct, conduct should show up in gentleness, that word gentleness is not just, you know, being soft and cuddly. That's not the idea. The idea is that you are, you, you have power, but it's power that is controlled. Like the woman riding the Clydesdale. That thing is a powerful horse, but with that bit in its mouth, it will do the right bidding. It will do what it's supposed to do. So one who is gentle has the right kind of wisdom, the right kind of source controlling its words his or her words. And notice there, as James ends, he's talking about something that is fruitful. When he talks about wisdom, this wisdom from above, it's fruitful. It's, it's producing something. It's flourishing. And it doesn't take much to realize, oh, that, that gets talked about pretty prominently in the Bible. We'll go to Galatians chapter 5. Maybe at some point you've heard of something called the fruit of the Spirit. See, here's James' point. We can change our words if we walk in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. 
We can change our words. He's not saying that it's impossible to tame, but he's saying there's, there's something else that has to happen in order for us to tame our tongues. We have to walk in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. And so James, I mean, Galatians chapter 5. I'm not going to read all of verses 16 through 26, but, but Paul here in Galatians makes this point. He says, I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. Again, there's this, this comparison between there was, there was earthly wisdom, this wisdom from below, and now there's this heavenly wisdom. And here he's making the comparison between our flesh and the Spirit. He says, look, you don't want to go this way, but if you're going to go this other way, then you need help. You need to walk by the Spirit. He says, for the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. If you have trusted Christ, if you're in Christ, and Christ is in you, there's this, this kind of war going on. You have this, you've not yet been rescued from the presence of sin, though you have been saved from the, the power of sin and the penalty of sin. But as scriptures say, the, the sin is still, it's still in us in a sense. And so, as we wrestle with that, what we find is there's still these desires. We talked last week, right? We, we have positive and negative desires, things that are good and things that aren't. And, and these things are at odds. The Spirit is, is calling us forward saying, hey, go here. This is what's good. This is how you should live. But on the flip side, our flesh is saying, no, nah, just, just do whatever you want. Just live it up. Do, do what's good for you. That me monster wants to take over. And so there's this, this conflict and what Paul says here is, as these things battle it out, okay, they're opposed to each other so that neither is getting everything it wants. And so what's the, what, how, do, how do we end this conflict? He goes on, he says, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. He says, this, this isn't about you trying to, to figure it all out on your own. This isn't about you living up to something that you can never live up to. This is about you accepting what has been given to you, accepting the freedom, he says earlier in Galatians 5, that has set you free, and then walking in that, living out what God has already done in you. He says when you do this, you're, you're living by a whole new standard, a whole new way of life. So he goes on and he describes the two different ways of living, works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And he finishes up and he says in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, right, if the Spirit has, has made us alive, made us new people, rescued us from this old life, then don't get started. And it's this whole point in the book of Galatians in this letter that he writes is don't think you get started one way with God saving you and then you have to go save yourself. He says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. If the Spirit, if God himself has saved us, then it's him that we, we follow. It's him who provides the power to do the things he's called us to do. So let us keep in step with the Spirit. He, he is talking about the same thing James is getting at. If you try to tame that tongue on your own, you got no, no chance. But if you walk in the wisdom of the Spirit, then there is power. Then there is the ability. And so I, I want to present to you just a, a helpful way of thinking about this, understanding this. This is an illustration I come across many, many years ago. It was developed many, many years before that, decades before that. It's called the wheel. It's developed by a group called the Navigators. And you see that the outside of the wheel 
is really meant to represent what, is, what does obedience look like in the Christian life? At the center of that Christian life is Jesus. He is the center of our lives. But the thing that connects Jesus to our obedient living are those spokes. Prayer and the word are how we relate to God. And ministry and fellowship are how we relate to one another. Horizontally and, and vertically, or ver <laughs> vertically and horizontally. This is how we are to put in practice the things that God has done in us. Live out what he has put in. And so when we have Jesus at the center and then we, we are engaging in these things, what happens is we are cooperating with the Spirit of God. At one point, as this illustration began to gain traction with people, some, some people asked, well, the, the man Dawson Trotman is the founder of the Navigators and um, did a, a ton of amazing things. You, God used his, his life mightily and he developed this illustration and so some people ask, well, Dawson, where's the Holy Spirit in the wheel? And Trotman answered that the Holy Spirit was, was it's throughout. It, it's, it is what is it's necessary for the fulfillment of each part of this. It's, it's Christ in us, empowering us by his Spirit to pray, to read and learn, to, to fellowship and care for one another, to do ministry for those in the church and those who have yet to trust Christ. This is where the power comes from. And so I want to encourage you both to consider that illustration and think about the implications of that, but also want to commend to you, and I've, I've done this before, I want to commend to you this pamphlet. We've got them out there on the, in the info center area, How to Walk in the Spirit. And this was written, it's, a, it's really short, it's two pages, okay? I mean, you can read this um, in about 10 minutes, maybe, maybe five minutes, okay? Okay. Um, but it's fantastic, and in such a short, compact way, it's the best thing I've ever seen in terms of just, what does that mean when we say, walk in the Spirit, walk in the wisdom of the Holy Spirit? What does that mean? What does that actually look like? And so I commend this to you because I think it's a really helpful resource as he, he deals with that, that war that we engage with. He deals with what it means to call upon the resources that the Spirit provides and cooperate with him. Here's the thing, if only you can prevent a verbal wildfire, then friends, get ready to start the firefighting, all right? Go buy some, some stuff, some fire retardant, you know, blankets and, and all the gear, okay? You're going to need some help because you're going to be, you're just going to be in for the fight and, and you're going to lose. Our tongues are tied to twisted hearts and troublesome to tame. That's just the fact. But we don't have to be alone. Jesus has come to give us new life, to give us himself. So that instead of destroying ourselves with our tongues, we can actually be made whole. That's what he wants to do for us. And so rather than a tongue twister, let me leave you with this. If a gorgeous forest is what you desire, walk in the spirit to prevent a fire. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for the morning and the opportunity to come before you. I thank you for the way that you teach us. You care about our lives. You care about us being whole, mature, and complete. And so you instruct us to give us insight, give us wisdom, and you empower us so that we don't have to be consumed by our words. 
Lord, I pray that the lives here would be directed by your spirit, that our lives would flourish and be fruitful and not go up in flames. We pray for your help and your guidance, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you again for joining us today. We pray that you were encouraged by the message and equipped to take your next step with Jesus. Visit us online at thegrovekc.com for more ways to connect with us. And join us again next week for another podcast from The Grove Church. Have a great day. Thank you.